feel that God's telling me to give my testimony about what's been going on in my life recently. I love this song so much, and as I walk to classes, it takes 10 minutes for me to walk, so I, I share this in um, Sunday school. But I listen to this song because it just gets me every time. And with my 10 minutes, I pray. And I listen to Christian music and I walk to class and I ask God to have just everything. My academics, my sports, my social life, all of it, just for him to hold it. And I pray that he will just deliver me through my college years to stay strong with him. And as I use those 10 minutes, I ask that he just keeps my brain like a sponge so I can soak up all the knowledge in my classes so I get good grades. I've, I've never gotten straight A's before in my whole entire life, even in high school. And high school is, is a lot easier than college. And I've had all this conversation with my parents a lot that college isn't a place where you pass everything. You know, C's are good. <laughs> And I realized that, but I have some A's in my classes, and I don't know where these come from. And I know that God is continuing to bless me in my academics. And I thank you, Jesus. And I just pray that he continues to do this for me. And I have a test on Tuesday, so if you guys want to pray that I pass it and get 100%, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but I just fully, 100%, give my academics to you, God, and just use me there on campus. And so, that's what I'd like to say. You know, I'm pretty sure that'll be a song in heaven, because that is such a nice tune, isn't it? It just, once you get that in your mind, you will be whistling it throughout the day. Um, yeah. And singing it, if you can remember the words. Amen. I want to speak this morning, continuing kind of on our series that is kind of developing, and that is to know Jesus. To know Jesus. And today I want to talk about building the foundation, or maybe even rebuilding the foundation. Um, in our quest to know Jesus and to make him known, there is a lot to think about and there's a lot to learn. Because when we think about who this Jesus is, uh, he's just beyond our own ability to grasp and comprehend him. Uh, in a few Sunday services. Um, we could probably speak for all eternity on getting to know Jesus because we probably will take all eternity getting to know Jesus and never really ever getting to the bottom of who he is and who God is, the Father, and to the Holy Spirit. So it's, uh, it's going to be uh, a good, and I, I pray that the Lord will be effective in getting the word out of me this morning in what he's laid on my heart. Um, you know, it's a little bit interesting coming into a church of an older congregation, and especially a, a home church like I am here, realizing that many of you are older than I am and when it comes to Christianity. And that uh, to be speaking into seniors like this, it's a little bit, uh, it's a challenge for me. Um, and I consistently evaluate what the Lord places on my heart throughout the week because I really do pray that the Lord gives the word. It's not just my ideas because I don't want to listen to my ideas. I have a hard time listening to myself as it is. 
So I hope it's not my ideas. I really pray that God's ideas come. But I find myself gauging, though, what these ideas are um, by what the Lord's laying in my heart by kind of thinking if I was sitting in your seat, because I was sitting in your seat just a few years ago, um, how would I be receiving the word that the Lord's laid in my heart? And um, I try to measure that. And maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. I'm not sure because it does add a little bit of stress to my life uh, trying to make sure you measure the words and say them right without making them offensive or without making them seem like we're uh, too, too hard. But I believe that the Lord gives the words and I believe that um, I shouldn't be apologetic about the Lord when he lays a, a, a word in my heart. And, and, I do, and I do believe this as well. I believe that it's, it would be easier, actually, to preach or teach to a bunch of new converts that don't have established foundations. Because if you, when you're te- teaching it to young people or new, new converts, you're teaching them something that is new to them, and they have no preconceived ideas or have no preconceived foundational stones that they've already placed. Um, it kind of rem- reminds me of um, of golfing, and that is that uh, if I was uh, golfing in a few, for a few years and I teach myself how to golf, I may be able to hit the ball. But when I got when I was if, if I was to ever take instruction from a true professional that really understood the game, he would look at my swing, and he would want to modify my swing to make my swing more technically accurate. And when he was to do that, it would make me a better golfer. I would hit the ball farther, I would hit the ball more accurately, and I would have better scores. But the problem, however, is that after I've developed my, my bad habits and my swing, and he comes up to me and he says, let me change this for you, because this has happened to me quite a bit. He says, let me adjust your grip on the way you hold the club. Let me adjust something in what your swing is. And, and it feels so wrong when he adjusts it. Because I've been doing it this way for so long that it just feels, it feels like, no, you're, don't, don't give me the details. I don't want that. I just want to swing where I'm comfortable. And here's the deal. If I want my golf game to improve, then I better listen to the instructor. Because he knows what he's talking about. And there's a science to this game. And if I adjust my grip a little bit and my weaken it, I might hook less. And if I strengthen it, I can maybe slice less. And if I slow my backswing down, I can be more tempo-orientated and get a better, more consistent shot. And, and yet it feels so strange. But after I do it for a while, and after I take his advice and start to modify my swing, all of a sudden I see my performance getting better. And it is worth it. And, and that's kind of the way it is teaching um, to churches the same type of a thing. I've heard it said, and I really believe this, it says, in teaching and almost any other profession, they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I hope that over the past three or four years that you've understood how much I care, that how much I really feel for you people and how much I care for this church and for the care for this community and that the, when I do say things that the Lord lays in my heart, you know my heart. I believe by now you know my heart. So this morning I want to talk some more about God's foundation that he's laying in our church as, as we're getting to know Jesus. What does that really mean? 
And I want to talk this morning about God's desire to lay the foundation for future growth in our lives and, and in this church. And I want to emphasize how he uses the quiet times in our life and the quiet times in our church to build a foundation. You know, we look around and we don't see a lot happening sometimes. and We wonder, where is God? Where is all this stuff that God is doing in our lives? But understand, God doesn't see things the way we see things. God is not in a hurry. Uh, he's never under the gun, and he's never working on a timeline other than his own. No matter how much I want to rush him, I cannot rush him. He's always on time. He doesn't depend on my ability or your ability to do anything in this world. All he asks is for is our obedience. He doesn't ask for our ability because if it was depending upon my ability, then, then I, would tend to have a, I would tend to want to take credit for it. But when I let the Lord do the things, then he gets the glory for it. And, and just like we talked a little bit in Sunday school, how Israel was the smallest tribe, God picked the smallest tribe to accomplish what he wanted to in the world, not the, not the biggest group of people or the strongest group of people. But even though he doesn't depend on my ability, though, I do have, and this is important that we understand, that I do have the ability to prohibit or to stop his moving in my life. I can't, get, I can't take control of it. I can't take credit for it, but I can certainly hinder it. And I can certainly stop it. And I do that through my pride and my arrogance and my unwillingness or my resistance to change. If the Lord is trying to tweak my swing a little bit, if he's trying to tweak my, my foundation a little bit, and if I say, no, God, I've always done it this way, then he'll say, fine, you do it your way and, and then see what happens for you. How's it working for you type of thing. That's a uh, common way to think about it. And, and so I think that if we really are, are going to be responsive to the Lord, we need to be knowing that, first of all, to know Jesus is going to require change. It's going to require a change in our life. I don't know that anybody can say that they know Jesus enough that it doesn't require an additional change. I don't care how old we are spiritually. I'm sure that if Sister Beers was here today, she would still say that I need change in my life. And that's the mature way to look at life. That's the, that's the growing Christian way to look at life, is always recognizing that I don't have it all figured out. I do have issues. I do have things to learn. And we need to re always look at our foundational stones and see if they need to be tweaked. So this morning, that's what I want to talk about a little bit more uh, about what it really means to know Jesus. And, and I've, been a lot of, uh, I've had a lot of uh, convictions and a lot of, a lot of things that the Lord has laid on my heart. And, and it's almost like he's saying to me, Mike, do you really want to know me? I mean, do you really want to go there? Do you really want to, to ask me to show you myself? Because if you do ask me that, and if I do show up, know that it's going to rock your boat. Know that it's going to shake you up a little bit. Because, see, I can very, very easily become complacent in my own version of Christianity. And I can get very comfortable in my religion. And I can get very comfortable in my history of saying, oh, I know Jesus. And I do know Jesus. And so do you. I'm not saying you don't know Jesus. And I'm not saying I don't. But when I ask him for him to really reveal himself to me, 
Be careful. Like Drew gave us a warning. Be careful what you ask for, right, Drew? Be careful if you say, Lord, create a ministry, because he's going to do it. He's going to do it. You know, we, he, Drew started this ministry. We didn't even have a boy. We still don't have a boy in our church that regularly attends on Sunday mornings from ages that he's talking about. But he has nine boys that are starting, that are coming. And I am praying, and so is Drew, and I believe that the Lord's going to give the increase because as those boys get an understanding of who Jesus is in their life, it's going to spread to their parents. And then they will save their parents. And wouldn't that be a great thing? And that's what's going to happen. And the same thing when the girls start up, that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to win the battles in this community starting from the ground up. And I think that's what God is laying on our church, too. There isn't a lot of top-down program focus right now in our church, and that's good. It's good that God isn't asking us to, to create something and then create an activity around it to make it happen. Really, I think the Lord is saying, I will raise this church up from the bottom up. I will raise this church up as people in the congregation feel a burden for a ministry. It will spring up from within, and that will be how this church grows with homegrown ministries, not a top-down approach. Amen? So I don't feel any pressure. I'm not putting out any, any pressure on people to go do anything that the Lord isn't asking you to do. But I will put pressure on if you feel the Lord asking you to do something, then do it. Then do it. If you feel an urge, if you feel an unction, if you feel that there's something you need to do, then I am asking you to be bold and to do that. Because when you do that obediently, that will be blessed. And then we will have an increase. So I want to talk about foundations. I want to talk about are we willing to allow our foundations stretch for new growth? Will we do that? Are we allowing it to happen? See, foundations are vitally important for any facility or any building. Yet what's so interesting about a foundation is that it's unseen. Nobody walks up to, to a, a really nice house house and say, wow, you got a great foundation. Nobody walks up and said, man, who laid your foundation? Nobody says that. They say, wow, what a beautiful home. What a beautiful design. What, what a beautiful furniture you have. Or, or I love your windows. Or, I love your view. Or I love your landscaping or something of that nature. But they don't walk up and say, man, you have got one whale of a foundation. <laughs> That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Because the foundation's hidden. But yet, if it didn't have one whale of a foundation, that house wouldn't last very long, would it? And you get a, you know, the, the earth shifts, or you get a good freeze-thaw cycle, and all of a sudden you get some cracking, and all of a sudden that beautiful drywall and that, all that nice stuff in your house is cracking, and, and um, then, you got, then you're, you know, calling, uh, you're calling your builder to say, come fix my house, because my foundation wasn't right. But what's really interesting, and, and I like what actually Mike said it when he was working in his house. He said, and I don't even know if he knew it, I heard it, but he said that uh, he doesn't like working on things that nobody sees he's working on. He likes it when everybody sees that what he did. But how, many, how much do you do in a house that nobody sees, but yet it has to be done? Think all the electrical work, all the stuff behind the walls. Think about the insulation. One of my favorite jobs. <laughs> is, you know, somebody's got to put the insulation in that. But yet you put over that drywall and you hide the insulation, but if you didn't have it, your utility bills would be angry and it wouldn't be fun. 
So there's so many things that are done, and they're done in the quiet times and the hidden times of life. We may not see a lot physically going on. We may not see the progress, but there's a lot going on, isn't there? And uh, it's so important that we recognize that God is working in the quiet times, and he often works in the hidden times of our personal life and our personal devotions and our personal prayers. In fact, we're instructed to do that. We're instructed to make sure that we have those private times, those, those personal prayer closets. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, tells us this. It says, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. See, God likes us to have our secret place. He likes us to have our, our own personal 10-minute walks between classes where we can secretly praise the Lord. And see, and that's what's so nice about it. It doesn't require a secret hour or a secret three hours. It can be a, a secret 10 minutes. But I need to do it. I need to take advantage of that time. And when you do that, you're laying a foundation. You're laying a spiritual foundation in your life in those unseen quiet times when nobody else knows what's going on. You're laying the foundation for your personal life. And when every person in the church lays the foundation for their personal life, you're laying the foundation for your church. You're laying the foundation for your family. You're, you're laying the foundation for your future. Futures or foundations are built for the future, by the way. Foundations are future-oriented, not past-oriented, because you lay the foundation at the beginning of the project. You put the roof on. You put some of the other things on last, but the foundation is the first thing you do to when you build something because that has to be built for the future. And that's what you're doing when you spend your quality time with the Lord. The quality time is more important than the quantity time. Right, Angel? That's what Angel talked about. That quality time with the Lord. It doesn't have to be high quantity, but it has to be high quality. And it has to be consistent. But here's the question I have though, when I when we we talk about the private time, we talk about the secret time, I don't know about you, but this is my tendency. That if I don't have to prove what I do, I have a tendency not to do it. If I don't have to prove it to somebody that I've done something, I will have a tendency to shortcut it. I will have the tendency to take the easy way. And nobody will know. Nobody will know if I'm praying. Nobody will know if I'm not reading my Bible. Nobody will know if I'm not interceding. And because God says do it in the secret time, that's a challenge for all of us. What that's not saying is it's not important to do. Just because he says do it in the secret doesn't mean that it's not important to do it. But yet, many times, be honest with me, and with yourself more importantly, most of us are not praying as much as we should be. Most of us are not on our face before God as much as we should be. Most of us are not reading God's Word and studying God's Word as much as we should be. Maybe we're reading a little devotional in the morning, and that's good. Maybe we read a couple of scriptures, and that's fine. 
That's a little appetizer. But are you ever, do you find yourself ever sitting down and picking up God's word and just studying it? I mean, study it. I mean, take a scripture and do your own scripture search. Go get a concordance. Go look at the footnotes and say, now where does take, let this take you to the other place in the Bible that, that other references scriptures that would take you to another area of the Bible that would prove what this is saying is correct. And then find that little trail. And, and, you know, it's a lot of fun when you start that. If you just take a scripture, take your favorite scripture, open it up, read the footnotes, in your, if you've got a study Bible, and then it'll quite often have other reference verses you go to. Now go to those verses, read that verse, read those footnotes, then see where those scriptures will take you, and it'll take you around a whole journey around the Bible. And it's the study process of getting to know God's Word. And when we get to know God's Word that way, you'll find that God's Word never contradicts itself. And you will find yourself saying, Whoa, I didn't know that. Wow, that is so cool. And now all of a sudden, what you think is going to take you 10 minutes, you spent an hour and you didn't even know it because you got so engrafted, you got so enthralled. You're learning something of God's Word in the quiet times. And you don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to come up and tell me or your wife or your spouse or your mom or your dad. And I'll tell you why you don't have to do that. Because it will come out in the end. A good example is taking exams in college or school. You know, the teacher gives you homework, especially in college, because you have less accountability, don't you, Jenna? They don't really care in college. You're just a number. You pay your tuition. They get paid, and that's kind of what they're happy, that you get your tuition. They get their, they get their money. But yet, when exam time comes, if you haven't taken the quiet times of your personal study, your score is going to show it at the end of the day. Your test score will show it if you didn't study. <laughs> Jenna and I have this little thing. In fact, we've done this with my, most of my kids or all of our kids when it comes time to study. And Jenna will call me and say, Dad, i got a test coming up. Will you pray for me? What do I ask you, Jenna? And if she said yes, if she said, yes, I studied, then I'll say, okay, I'll pray. But I'm not going to pray if you didn't study because that's cheating. Because God's, I'm not going to pray God gives you the answer that you didn't study for. I'm not going to say God be your, your cheating partner. That would be wrong. So we have to study. Study to show thyself approved. If you study, I'll pray. And what I'll pray then is that God will bring back the answers, that God will bring back the knowledge that you learned, that you put an effort into. And now I'll pray that God quickens your mind, quickens your memory, quickens the concepts, so that now he'll bring those back out so that you can pass the test. That's spiritual life, folks. That's what God's looking from us. He says, well, did you study? We say, God, I need help. God, help me in this situation. He'll say, did you study? Did you study my word at all? Do you have any idea what my word says about that situation? Do you have any idea what my word says about that temptation? Well, no, God. Well, then, what are you going to do? Then deal with it. <laughs> That's why we have consequences in life. Study to show thyself approved. And so the problem comes is that when we don't do that, and, and you know, I can, she can study for one test and pass that test, and she thinks, well, I got it licked. Good, man, I got this figured out. And then if she doesn't study anymore, 
the next class, she'll fail it. Because you've got to study every class. Romans chapter 2, we're instructed in the message translation, because it kind of brings it out the best here. Paul's talking to those in the early church. And Paul also recognized that he's dealing with people that think they can get away with stuff because it's in the secret place. And he gives a good warning. He says, if you're brought up Jewish, this is verse 17 verse 20 through 24, if you're brought up Jewish, which for us right now, let's say if you're brought up in a Christian house, all right, for, let's just put it in our vernacular right now. If you are brought up in a Christian home, don't assume that you can lean back in the arms of your religion and take it easy, feeling smug because you're an insider to God's revelation, a connoisseur of the best things of God, informed on the latest doctrines. I have a special word of caution for you who are sure that you have it all together yourselves. And because you know God's revealed word inside and out, feel qualified to, lead, to guide others through their blind alleys and dark nights and confused emotions to God. While you are guiding others, who is going to guide you? I'm quite serious. While preaching, while preaching don't steal, are you going to rob people blind? Who would suspect you? The same with adultery or the same with idolatry. You can get by with almost anything if you front it with eloquent talk about God and his law. The line from Scripture, it's because of you Jews that the outsiders are down on God, shows it's an old problem that isn't going away. See, we can wax eloquent in our words and we can say all the things that we need to be said and it looks like we're on the right track. Now, I don't want to go down this rabbit trail and I don't want to um, spend a lot of time on this, but there was a, there was a very um, prominent preacher, TV evangelist, that spoke hard, hard, hard about pornography, hard about prostitution, hard about that. And you know what? It wasn't long and he fell in what he was preaching against. Maybe you'll know who I'm talking about. But then when he was caught in it, he wouldn't really go through the necessary um, restoration process from the denomination it was with, and he went, he went independent. My, pro my point is this. My point is, that when you can preach hard about something, and you can be doing it yourself. In fact, probably what you preach hardest about is probably what you're guilty most of doing, because you're trying to justify something maybe in your mind. I, I don't understand that. But, but when I read this passage of Scripture... It causes me to sit up and pay attention. When I look at this and I think, okay, Mike, you're supposed to be a pastor. You're supposed to be a dad. You're supposed to give counsel to your children. You're supposed to give counsel to others, pastoring or teaching or just being a dad. This, this is important that we understand, and this challenges my foundations. Have I been resting on something that needs to be changed? Have I been resting on an on a old tradition? Have I been resting on my laurels? Have I been resting on something saying that I've only done it this way in the past, therefore that's the only way I'm going to do it in the future, when God is saying I need to tweak your swing a little bit? I need to challenge you a little bit? I need to test your, your thinking on this matter a little bit? This is where we go to Psalm 139. and we've, we've memorized this scripture. Search me, O God, 
and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any anxious way or any, um, um, not anxious, any um, offensive or wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I like the way the message translation also says it. It says, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. That's really pretty clear, isn't it? When we say, God, search me, we're saying, God, show me. And now the thing, I have, to, I have to deal with this. I have to then take the information that he gives me and I have to move on it. The problem is, is that if we don't do this on a regular basis, if we are, allow our foundational stones to get so set and we're not willing to move, or if we're not willing to be changed, then we're on the road to destruction and we don't even know it. See, every church, I believe, should or, or, or does or should go through, through some um, foundational adjustment work every now and then. Every set of believers should go through this and examine your life on a regular basis. Because if we're not making the small tweaks along the way, we can quickly get off base and get so set in our ways, in our habits, in the way we do things, that it's hard, 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 maybe impossible to come back into what God wants us to do. So now the hard work comes. We have to be willing to accept the fact that things can't be the same when God makes the changes. If God shows up in your life, if he shows up to say, I will show you who Jesus is, are you sure you want to know? Are you sure you really want to know who this Jesus is? Because if I show him to you, I'm going to expect changes in your life. I'm not going to let you get away with the way you've always done it. Because that's not who Jesus is. If you want to just play the game, and Angel was right on this morning, time is short. Time is short. We don't know how much time we have personally in your own personal life or corporately before the corporate rapture takes place. Time is short. And you don't have time to play games with God, and neither do I. And neither does this church. So if we've allowed bad habits to form, it's time for us to break them. It's time for us to take authority in our life. It's time for us to step up and sit up and take, take, take note of what the Lord is trying to tell us so that we can recognize that and then we can do the corrections that need to be done. And this is where a man's heart needs to be softened by the Holy Spirit. This is where we need to have the Holy Spirit come in and do the work. This isn't just about me lifting myself up by my bootstraps. This isn't about me doing it on my own. It's about me asking Jesus to send the Holy Spirit to do the work. And then, God's, then letting God's love works. See, God's love, and we talk about God's love all the time, and it's an awesome love. It's an awesome love. But God's love is not a pampering love. God's love is a perfecting love. James MacDonald, in his book, Gripped by the Greatness of God, says this about God's love. He says, God's love is not a pampering love. God's love is a perfecting love. God does not get up every day trying to figure out, how, figure out how he can plant a bigger smile on your face. God is in the process of growing us and changing us. His love is a transforming love. How does he change us? Same way you change your children, through discipline. Through discipline, through testing, through evaluation. God changes us. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. We've read this verse before and we'll always we'll read it again. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. God is showing Jesus to us so that when we know Jesus, he can give us proper discipline so that he can keep us on the right track, not because he's angry, but because he loves us so much. And God's love is, is the process of growing us and changing us. I know that my foundations have been shaken over the past five years of my life since I've been up here. For the good. For the good. I, I, I knew Jesus. We, we, were, we had a great relationship with the Lord for all those years in Brighton. But I'll tell you what, I'm a different man today than I was five years ago. And I pray that I'm going to be a different man in the next five years too. I don't want to stay where I'm at. I don't want to stay stagnant. I don't want to think that I've got it figured out and I'm not growing. The Lord is constantly taking us in the process of change. Constantly. The more I get to know Jesus, the more I ask him to show myself or himself to me, the more that I, my life is revealed. My inconsistencies, my failures, my, my, my desires change. And that's good. And it needs to be that way. And I hope yours are too. Because when God works on my foundation, I want him to make some very deep and important changes in my life because I don't want to go back. I don't want to have to go back and repeat something because I didn't catch it the first time. God's love for us is a great thing. Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17 gives us an analogy of, of how God changes us. And when he changes us, he changes our, our external situation as well. He gives, it, he gives a parable or an analogy of, of unshrunken cloth and new wineskins in this analogy. He says in verses 9, 16 through 17 of chapter 9 of Matthew, he says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, I'm not a seamstress, but I do know that clothes shrink. <laughs> I'm not getting fatter, Chris. My pants are shrinking. <laughs> I do know that fabric shrinks. So if I was going to patch something, it would be silly of me to take a piece of fabric that is going to shrink and put it on something that's already shrunk and think it's not going to cause a problem. Now, I don't know when the last time you had a wineskin is, <laughs> but the way a wineskin works, because I needed to understand, because I, I don't know what a wineskin is either, but a wineskin is typically made out of goat skin. And what they do is that when they make a new wineskin, they'll take the goat skin and they'll sew it together and they'll sew up the, the seams to make it um, uh, waterproof and uh, so they can hold liquid. And then they will take a new wineskin and they'll pour fresh grape juice into the wineskin, and as that grape juice gets old, it's like apple cider. It ferments, and it expands, and that new wineskin will expand with it because it hasn't been stretched yet. And so it'll expand with it, and so it, doesn't, it, it preserves what's inside of it. If I took an old wineskin that had already been stretched and put in fresh grape juice, it wouldn't stretch anymore. When it ferments, it's, it's like a balloon. You can only blow, blow up a balloon so long, so far, so much air before that balloon stretches, 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 and finally pops. And that's what he's talking about here. But you wouldn't put fresh wine or fresh juice in an old wineskin 
Now, what does that mean for us today? It means that things have to change in our life. It means that God is not going to come down and pour out his blessing on people that aren't going to change. He's not going to come down and waste his glory on people that are so set in your ways that you're not stretchable. He's not going to come down in my life and give me new revelations. He's not going to come down and really be a big worker in my life if I'm not willing to say, God, I'll change. Why would he waste his time? Why would he waste the effort? Not that God is limited by anything. But understand, though, that it's our responsibility to be stretched as God pours the new wine skin, as he pours the new wine, excuse me, if he pours his, his, his new work, his blessing, his glory, as he pours that into me, I have to be willing to be moved. I have to be willing to grow. I have to be willing to expand. And the same thing with the church. See, God is tearing up some of the old foundations in our lives. And he's doing it in lots of churches around the country. I've talked to lots of pastors, and they're saying they're having a similar thing happening in their churches. There is a sifting going on around the country. The Lord is coming back. He is preparing his church. He's preparing his church. And here's the warning that that we're given by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He gives us a warning. Again, I'll read this in a message translation because it gives it a, a, new, a new look. I know we've read this before in the NIV, but let me read it here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 29. says, Knowing the correct password, saying, Master, Master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. This is about coming into the presence of God in Judgment Day. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. I can see it now. At the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner of improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, You are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. When Jesus concluded concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. What does that say to your life? What does that say? To us, See, in the NIV it says, Lord, Lord, and not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will get into heaven. Not everyone that says it. In fact, it, it says also in Matthew, it says that, that we are to enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. 
but narrow, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And few find it. Many find the road to destruction. Few find the road to eternal life. It's a challenge. So I want to say this morning that it's important that we understand that God will take broken foundations and restore them. Jackie, if you would come. And, and as we are preparing our life and as we're preparing this church and as we're, we're looking around us and seeing what's happening among us, God is here. His Holy Spirit is here. The presence of God is in this place. And I'm so encouraged by that. But I also am very challenged by it because I believe that Lord is, is still saying, what will you do with me? If I show up in your church, what are you going to do with me? If I show up in glory in your Sunday morning, what are you going to do with me? What are you going to do with me on Monday if I show up in your workplace? What, am I going to, what are you going to do with me if, you, if I happen to show up in your, in your private time? See, if we're truly seeking God to move in us and upon us, then we have to change accordingly. If, if God wants us to pray, then we pray. If God wants us to worship, then we worship. If God wants us to read his word more, you better read his word more. You better study it more. If God wants us to love him with all our heart, mind, body, strength, and soul, you better do it. I don't care what you have to give up to do it. You just better do it. Or else God will find others that will. God is not dependent upon this church. He's not dependent upon me. He'll find others. So the challenge is, are we going to step up? Are we going to be that church that's willing and are we going to be the broken vessels? Are we going to be so hungry and sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit that we honestly welcome in our services? That we just don't come in and give them a tip of the nod or of the head and say, hey, how are you, God, and move on. But do we really want them? Are we really asking for them? Do we really want them to fall in our services this morning? Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I will heal their home. I will heal their body. I will heal their church. I will heal their community. But are you willing to bow down before God? Are you willing to humble yourself? Am I willing to humble myself? If God gave me a promise today, if he, says, if he asked me, if he, said, if he said, commit your way to me every day and I will make your life go well, would you do it? If he said to me, witness to my people and, and as I give you the impulse and I will give you increase, would I do it? If he, if he said, give me a tithe, give me 10% faithfully and I will provide, I will promise you, I'll provide your every need, would I do it? If he said, read and study my word so that you won't be deceived by false teachers and by false ideas, would I do it? Would you do it? If he, sa if he says, spend quality time and, and prayer on a daily basis so that I can have a relationship with you, would you do it? Would I do it? You see, everything he said here about provisions, protection from false ideas, relationships, an increase, he will do it. He will do it. He's promised he will do it. The question is, will I do it? Will I do my part? That's the challenge that I have this morning. If you close your eyes with me, and, and just I, I need to, you to have some self-evaluation time this morning. Um, you know, I, I just know that the Lord is really, really working in my heart. 
and I trust he's working in your heart. I just want you to think, as you're evaluating your life right now, think over the past six months or the past year. Are you praying more? Are you seeking God more than you were a year ago? Are you studying God's Word more than you were a year ago? Are you moving in your relationship with Jesus more than you were a year ago? Because if you're not, you're one of the few that He's not coming, you're one of the many He's not coming back for. I can't say it any more clear. I'm not trying to put guilt on anybody. I'm just telling you the truth. He's coming for the few that are studying and are praying and are seeking Him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. If we have old foundations that are so set, and if our feet are so set in those old foundations, that's keeping us from praying because we don't think we have to, studying God's Word because we don't think we have to, keeping us from witnessing to people because we don't think we have to, then the secret place that God is asking us and calling us all to, at the end of the day, when He reveals or when He rewards those, our test grade is not going to be good enough, guys. And I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just challenging you because I'm being challenged. If God challenges me, I'm putting it out on you (laughs) because I'm not doing this alone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want, if you would, just to stay seated. Jackie, if you'd just sing the song that you're playing. And I want to end the service this morning by just this self-evaluation time. If, if you want to come to the front, you're more than welcome to the, to the altar and pray. But I just really want this to be something that you'll take all week long with you that you'll chew on this, that this is something that won't just come in and go out today, that you're going to understand that God loves us so much. He loves us. He's compassionate towards us. His grace is amazing towards us. But He's wanting us to be that new wineskin. He's wanting us to be that fresh place where He can come and pour His new anointing. He's got glory that's got to fall in Charlevoix. And He wants to fall here. And He wants to fall in your life and He wants to fall in my life. Are we going to let him? Are we going to put on a new wineskin? Are we going to allow ourselves to be stretched?
know, I believe the Lord really has so much in store for us in this church and for this community. We are the light that God really wants to reestablish on this hill. He really wants this church to be reestablished as a center point and, and has a lighthouse for him. And he's asking us, he's asking me if I'm willing to persist, if I'm willing to persevere in this, Am I willing to do my part in this? And he's asking you the same thing. Are you willing to share the gospel with your friends? Are you willing to go out and let your light shine for Jesus so that they will see there's something different happening? This is a new church. It's under new management. And we're listening to Jesus now. This is not a man's church anymore. It's a new church. It's new management. It's Jesus like every church should be in this community. I pray that every church, that the managing partner is Jesus. But it is here, and it's going to stay that way. So let's get out and let's spread the gospel. Let's spread the word. And let's invite others to come in and, and worship him, give him the glory, and let him be glorified in our church. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. We really do, Jesus. And I just pray, God, that the word that you've given us this morning will settle deep in our hearts. And Lord, that we will have a revelation daily, Father, of who you are, that we would understand your greatness more and more and more. Lord, if for us to say to know Jesus, Lord, help us to understand what we're asking for and help us to be willing to be a new wineskin for your glory to fill up. Help us, Jesus. Change us. We love you, we worship you, and we give you glory today. In Jesus' name, amen.